The future is bright, especially if we build for it. Welcome to Architecting the Future, a podcast for the builders of tomorrow, all about people, process, and technology. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Architecting the Future. Uh, This is an exciting special episode with Jote Singh, who's the founder of RTS Labs, who's the show's sponsor. Uh, Jote, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to talk. Yeah, nice to have uh, be on this show, man. Uh, excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone who doesn't know you, uh, mm-hmm. I know lots of people in the RTS world do. Uh, maybe you could just give a little bit of an intro on yourself. Yeah, always a tricky question. Um, Miles, what happens is I'm always exploring and discovering about myself. But if I have to um, describe myself in, in 30 seconds, I would say I'm a father first. Um, uh, and then um, I'll describe myself and my attributes, I think, would be I'm, I enjoy learning. I enjoy learning dif- different things. I enjoy you know, learning and growing. Um, I feel life is way too short. And you got to maximize and touch as many things as you can. So I'm always in this rush, rush, rush to, to try different things, right? So, so that's, that's how I describe myself. Uh, in terms of what I truly enjoy, I enjoy problem solving. Um, I'm always about trying different new things, um, and um, and and sometimes that becomes a problem. But uh, most of the times, it's exciting. Um, I need life exciting. So that's another thing that uh, that is very particular about me. Um, I'm truly, by the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur, and I think I have all the attributes <laughs> that you can uh, define an entrepreneur or a crazy person. I have all those crazy attributes as well. So uh, so that's that's about me. Now, I know a lot of people look at what you've built or entrepreneurs like myself and think, wow, how does someone get a company that big? Uh, And it's always fun for me to look from where you are uh, back to where it started. And I've heard this story in passing before, but maybe you could just share what inspired the creation of a custom software, salesforce.com app development company in a world that uh, does feel like there's a lot of uh, noise in that market, but obviously you've had success and I'd love to dig into how it all got started and then, you know, what's made you guys so different. Um, absolutely. So yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Um, like I think, I think where the noise comes from is, um, is all the challenges that we see around projects not succeeding, especially IT projects. Uh, I'm not sure if you know the stats on how many IT projects fail. Um, I think it's 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 shockingly around 80% who are either not meeting the timeline or the quality that ex- they're expecting or uh, the budget they're uh, they're out of that. So so in all, you know, the the success of these projects have been um, have been a challenge for almost you know two decades. Um, and I was one of the sufferers back in my oldest pre-RTS and uh, almost every project that I was part of, I would look, analyze and figure out, you know what, I got to do anything in my power to make this project successful. And my peers were trying to do the same thing. I'm not saying I had this magic magic wand, but um, one thing that I was very, very good at is identifying really good talent um, and kind of helping them come on board and grow with me. Um, and, uh, while I was doing that, I had, I had a lot of fun and the person who came on board and then they got a l- other person who were like them, 
to come on board and and kind of got really fun doing really complex and challenging projects. Um, and and by the end of the day, we had good outcomes. I mean, um, you know, most of our projects were successful. Most of our products, you know, were touched by millions of people around uh, around us, and um, it was fun doing that. And um, and at that point, I didn't know like that. You know, majority of IT projects are are not uh, are not going well. And um, and uh, you know, you know, fast forward in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when I was exploring you know some exciting things to do, um, I thought about this software development uh, as being my superpower and um, and hiring really good talent being my superpower. So so we you know I started uh, I basically somehow convinced one person to come on board. Um, and then uh, that led to other similar people to come on board and they end up taking on the baton and kind of hiring really good talent. And next thing you know, it's been 12 years and uh, hundred plus employees has been just awesome. Now, when you talk about software development as a superpower, there's obviously a technical component. There's a user design and user experience component. There's a recruiting component. So how have you made it a superpower? What are the if it was a sort of a tabletop, what are the legs of that table that have made you so effective? Yeah, well, uh, we're still learning. So I, I want to be very clear. Um, uh, we're still learning. We're still trying to iterate and and um, kind of figure out what is the best possible way to make this kind of a cookie cutter. Um, the more I uh, peel the onion, the more I learn that this is not going to be cookie cutter. However, what is repeatable is hiring the best talent. Um, and, and Miles, as, as well as, you know, you and I both know, um, there's a real, kind of uh, a known secret in the world. Um, the companies with the most smartest, most creative, and most diverse uh, thought process um, are the ones that win. Everything else is noise. So when I talk about my superpower, I think re- attracting the best talent out there, helping them grow, helping helping them be super engaged in the company and kind of keeping them so they're not bored and giving them complete autonomy to do the right decision without micromanaging it is our superpower. I think there are a lot of books that are written on the same topic. It's not a revolutionary idea. However, in, pra- in practicality and also actually executing is super hard. Like everyone wants to hire the best talent. Everyone wants to kind of retain the best talent, but doing so is super hard. And if you think about it, 90% of my time goes in, uh, into, into making that happen. So, um, and, and my thing is that how I can filter the noise and, and keep focusing on, on continuing to empower these people, continue to create an environment that, uh, makes these people really happy and kind of keep fulfilling their desire to succeed and, and kind of um, break the ceiling of, of their potential. So that is what I focus on. And as you look at the landscape, um, I'm so curious as a non-industry person, because you hear this word digital transformation or, you know, web 3.0 or, and, and you have seems like two camps, kind of these up and comers who are really trying to make the trend feel bigger than it is. <laughs> and these behemoths that are often trying to act like the trend isn't going to happen at all. 
Um, and you guys feel like you're able to operate across that spectrum to help people set themselves up for the future. So I'm so curious, is the world changing as dramatically as people say with these buzzwords like digital transformation or is it overhyped in your mind? Um, Miles is a great question. Um, I personally think obviously I'm biased because I run a software company that specializes in digital transformation, but I'm looking at the landscape and looking at, you know, last two years, what we have learned, um, looking at companies like, you know, the, the segments like EVs and, you know, uh, Tesla's of the world, um, looking at, you know, Bitcoins, you know, you know, not crypto in general, but, um, but many other. Uh, you know, transformation that happening in currencies, you know, Ubers of the world and, you know, Airbnbs of the world. Um, the transformation is, is happening and it's always happening. It's always happening. But in the last two years, we think that it was like, it was kind of uh, pushed to its limit. And now it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and even that when, is like months, not years, right? So the companies, you know, I, I look at logistics. Remember, we specialize in, in logistic industries only because I know that is a new wave of where a lot of change will happen because we have seen the sufferings of big companies that were not able to get the you know products on their shelves, right? And they know that they will not hit their revenue targets even though there is a strong demand if those orders are not fulfilled. So we see that they have felt the pressure, uh, something that they thought they're going to do it in, in a five, 10 year horizon uh, is no longer the, the need, right? And we also saw how a, a black swan event like, like COVID in this case, or, or a pandemic in this case, kind of pushed everyone to make those adjustments, make those changes. So, even though you know, I'm looking forward even after one year from COVID, um, I think some of these changes are going to stay. In my, in one of the best examples, would I say remote work? Right, it's going to stay. Uh, supply chain disruptions is going to stay. It's not going away anytime soon. Even if we see a little bit of softness in the economy in general, that 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 gap. The orders that have been have to be fulfilled for the last two years, they need to be delivered. They need to be in in hands of consumers. So that some of the big changes that we're seeing are going to happen. And as we all know, those changes can only happen by technology transformation. If you are not going to adapt uh, with the new way in which technology is transforming the world, you're going to be outdated before you know it. Right? It's not like two years, five years, six years, is going to be like months that we're talking about. We also learned, you know, the whole ro robotic automation and all that stuff, um, you know, looking at um, Gigafactory, for example, in Texas, right? Think about it, um, which I was fascinated with is they created a factory to produce a factory, right? Their, their product uh, uh, is the product that creates the product. And it's, it's fascinating because they know how limited talent pool is. They know that um, people are in short supply of, of to be able to work on, on these things. And I think they're automating a lot of things, right? And if you look at automa automation, most of the automation is done using technology, right? 
Um, you also talked about data and visibility into insights and so many other things, all driven by, uh, by capturing data and actually capitalizing on that data. But everything all falls under one thing, which is you know, kind of digitizing the, the entire uh, business. And um, when you're digitizing, is that's when you're transforming, and that's when digital transformation takes place. So anyway, um, it is real, it's here to stay, and it's happening as, as we speak, uh, and it's real. And I think you bring up a really good point, which is you're either going to face the truth head on or you're going to ignore it, but it doesn't change that it's the truth. And I feel like what your answer is really saying is you're either going to be like the Teslas that say the world is fundamentally changing and the winners are going to adapt. No different than IBM used to print mainframe POs. You know, you hear the stories of those people golfing all day who were salespeople and going in for an hour and getting their nine POs out of the fax machine. Not uh, anymore. Yeah, not anymore. And that's just kind of your point is this is a little bit the new normal because it feels like between social media and how networked we all are and how aware we all are, like a hundred years ago, we might not have even been aware of what COVID was where now we're able to put our finger on it. It's leading to, it feels like a much faster world. Everything happens faster Right. So you're going to have, you know, crazier extremes of supply chain or talent shortages or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that's your point is you're either going to adapt and technology is how you become more resilient. So it feels like you're saying. Uh, that's exactly right. One other thing that I would like to add, um, I know if someone is listening to this podcast and, and, and they feel, oh, my God, if, if I don't come on board, I'll be um, uh, I wouldn't be able to catch up. Um Understand this, when digital transformations are happening across the, across the world, um, it also is opening up many new opportunities. It's not that the old companies are, are, are just watching and, and kind of trying to get on, on board the bus. Um, there are also many, many new opportunities that are popping up, right? Um, with Again, I, I always take an example, like give an example of IOTs, you know, you know AI, um, you know, big data transformation, uh, you know, obviously with, with electric vehicles coming on board and, and, you know, think about all these combinations of so many things, bringing up way more opportunities uh, to do things that we have not even thought about, right? Fax was the next best, th next best thing, you know, 20 years ago, right? Nobody talks about fax anymore, as, you know, the way you mentioned. Similarly, things that we don't even know what will come down the road you know we're not aware of those things and those things are going to create way more opportunities for just just the planet earth in itself right um so i'm thrilled about those things as well so future is super bright uh -huh. i totally agree it's it's amazing to see when these architectures like the internet or social media get put in place uh how much faster the world moves for the people that embrace them. That's exactly um, My right. dad often reminds me as an entrepreneur, he's always telling me you have it a lot easier than we had it 30 years ago and it was a phone book. And now <laughs> you go on LinkedIn and 50,000 people can see what you're doing in a week or something. That's um, exactly right. But so how do you, yeah, I mean, and the only thing is that how do you it well, right? Um, doing well is the hardest part, right? There are always opportunities on the table. You know, how do you, how do, you do it really well? Um, is, is, I think it's always going to be the challenge. 
And it kind of got me thinking of another question. So, so I know as a leader, you're known by your people as being very hands-on. Like you run RTS as a relatively flat organization. It's incredibly customer-centric. Um, and it led, led me to want to ask you the question about resource allocation. Like you read so much about, you know, focusing or only having a couple priorities. But then I also see someone like you as like, you're accomplishing a fair amount. You're making a lot of bets at once that you're passionate about. So you, you don't strike me as, you know, you're, all your eggs aren't in one basket. How do you think about this for a CIO or for a CEO who's trying to embrace digital transformation, how many initiatives is the right amount to bite off at once? So um, again, a very good question. My philosophy is very simple. Um, it's, it's not about how many things are you doing. It's about how quickly you're learning from those, uh, those actions. So um, I think one other thing that I've learned, uh, you know, in last 13, 14 years of, of being an entrepreneur is, um, it's, I think people talk about focus and, okay, well, I'm only going to do one thing and I'm going to be only focused and that's how I'm going to get success. I am against that philosophy. I think, um, when you are transforming something, you should basically touch as many things as possible. And what you do is um, you should figure out a way to have a metric of success in each one of those things. So let's say uh, you're looking at a new, uh, you're a company and you're doing things one way um, and you're exploring an opportunity to do things three different ways. I would try all these three different things, but having a proper metric that measures immediate success in a month, in a, in a kind of a, a, a span of two or three months, and kind of record how you're seeing success in all those three new, uh, new areas of, of exploration. And after that, you feel that, um, that one area is doing better than the second area. And what you do is then you hone in on that area and scale. But I think where people I've seen making mistakes after mistakes, they try to perfect everything and they just focus on one thing and then they realize it's too late. Kind of what I call it a waterfall approach. I think even for new ideas of exploration and when you're trying to transform certain areas within your department and or company as a whole is to try different things uh, at the same time, measure the success and then focus immediately on the thing that you see has a biggest ROI. So, so kind of balancing that focus um, and, and, and juggling multiple things, I think, is, is a right approach. And it's so interesting you say that, too, because I think what over-focusing misses is you lose that generalist view of the whole chessboard. That's exactly right. And like you said, all these pieces interrelate. So as you know, my personal background has a lot to do with building marketing systems. And what's funny is if I only focused on data quality and my whole initiative was data quality, data quality, data quality, I lose that there's seven other levers I can pull. Correct. And so you're right to say, run some experiments and chase down what's working best uh, is common sense when you frame it that way. But all I think there's a lot of bad advice that you're supposed to over-focus. That's right, uh, right. Yeah, in, in a rabbit hole. And I'm also curious 
for the company, so so you, I know, work with, and I don't want to mention any names if you don't, but with some of these, what I would sort of think as upper mid-market type companies. So influential, you know, billion dollars in revenue, but they're not the biggest player in the in their space or in the global economy. Um, what would be your answer to a CEO of a billion dollar company that says, you know, it's not really worth it for us to have a mobile app. It's not really worth it for us to engage customers digitally because we're going to lose there uh, relative to these bigger players that have a lot more resources. Yeah. So, and that is a, that is a fair point and it's a challenge for a CEO of a billion dollar, which are not super big where they have a lot of freedom. They're also not super small where they're nimble and, and can, can pick an idea and run with it with a smaller team. Uh, it's a it's a it's a kind of a weird spot to be in, to be honest with you. They are super successful, but they're not like extremely successful. They are um, they also have they're also answerable to. I mean, there are a lot of set of eyes that are looking at them for every move that they make. So they are in this weird spot and um, and transformation for these CEOs is very hard. And, and we work with a lot of them. Um, they are sm- they're they're big, but they're also small, <laughs> and, and it's kind of this this weird weird place they're in. So um, the the challenge that we see is um, um, is 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 this whole excitement around an idea and making sure a person uh, a, a team that buys into that idea and making sure that they're seeing kind of transformation of those ideas working really well. And and where they lack this capability is, what is the first step they should take? If they figure out that first step, knowing that they are going to be wrong on the first step, it still is a huge value because you learn something from it. So um, so to me, that first step of, of even a wrong decision and not worrying about too much about what that outcome is going to be I think will be my suggestion of, of, of going to the next next step. Um, we also do a lot of ideation for all, all these companies where we come in and analyze um, the, the kind of areas of, of growth or uh, opportunities where they can hone in. And because we follow this whole lean agile methodology, um, we are able to pick one thing and kind of run it really fast uh, and give them proper metrics and data that shows that if they go and scale it, uh, they will be very, very successful. And it sounds like what what you're saying too is this really has to be a a culture of innovation inside your company or your clients' companies because until you're celebrating failure for the learning it provides That's exactly and taking right. the pressure off immediate short term quote unquote results. You're never going to get the innovation that you say you want. Correct. And as you know, sometimes, um, you know, and we see this all in uh, multiple times where, you know, when they they're feeling that the pain of change is more than the the feeling of uh, staying put or or not changing is more than the, uh, the, the feeling of change, then would they make that that commitment to 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 make the the transformation or the change what i propose and almost every time i say is like when you are in that situation 
most of the time it's too late. So you have to make those adjustments by trying different things um, that you're not playing catch up or not reactive, but, but you are more proactive. And that is when you can get ahead of your competition, uh, especially when you're creating a bigger market share for, 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 for your area. Um, so I always say, when you're feeling too much pain, I think sometimes it's too late. Um, and, and these days we have so many procedures and process and tools uh, to kind of start small and scale when you need to. And we have a very good client that we've been working uh, with um, for the last six years. Um, that project we started from a very simple MVP, believe it or not. And we rolled out into a, you know, two stores. And within six months, we, were, we rolled out the same MVP to 4,000 stores and we scaled it. Um, and that became um, their biggest growth opportunity uh, you know, for the future. So, so we've seen it happening. We've seen the culture changing. It's just a matter of taking that first step. And it leads me, I know I'm peppering you with kind of hard questions, but it leads me to another question uh, is like, I, I'm a pretty avid customer, I would say of Barnes and Noble, the bookstore. And I look at that kind of middle market type company. <laughs> and I wonder like how in the last 20 years, have they not gotten a bunch of people like you have at RTS together and said, we have to invent a way to compete with the Kindle? Like we, or we're going to go out of business. So like whether it's, you know, cartoon story booking, little summaries of books or turning them into TV shows or virtual reality or something. Mm -hmm. I'm always amazed how Amazon feels like they're just pulverizing these legacy players because they're like four steps ahead. Like they're inventing, you know, the retail store of the future. And in my bookstore example, they're still selling physical books and, and you can see it in the news just getting slaughtered. Yeah. Uh, I'm so curious, is is a shortage of talent, like if more people knew what RTS did, because you're basically bringing this talent in a really curated, high culture way, because they can't build what you've built, basically, in the amount of time that it would take. Like, if more people knew, do they just not realize that option exists? Or what's stopped? I'm, I, like you, I'm just amazed that I have a little person, you know, 20 person company, and we're trying 10 things a day. Yeah. But I look at these other companies, like how are they, how every time I'm going to a Barnes and Noble, are there not 17 different tests they're running and like four of which they're asking for my feedback on? It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> you, 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 you're, you're spot on. I think when you are, um, I think it's a culture issue. And I will tell you why uh, is because um, people get too comfortable in one way of doing things. And that's the only way they know this can work. They're also worried about failures because failures is not self, like failure in that organizations. Again, I'm not picking Barnes and Noble as an example, but other organizations that, that we have worked with where failure is not celebrated. And, and again, it's a, it's, it's such a cliche, but, um, I'm not saying let's celebrate every failure, right? Hmm. What I'm saying is that, you know, the learnings from the failures should be celebrated, right? And I think this is where people miss out on, on the huge chunk of the, of the value of the learnings, right? Where it's like, oh my God, look, we sat in, we tried to make everything perfect. Um, and, and guess what? 
it did not go well. Only because by the time you executed that idea, it was already too late, right? So they don't realize that the, the whole idea of, of celebrating failures or celebrating learnings uh, you know, from the failures is to execute and learn fast, right? Like Amazon, I, I recently met someone, uh, a leader um, uh, from Amazon, a company that I have very interesting, you know, I have, I have a lot of thoughts around on that company. But one thing that honestly excited me when he said, hey, why are you working with Amazon? I, this is a simple question I asked. And he says, because Amazon has like 50 startups within Amazon, right? Every day they're trying something. Every day they are trying something and breaking stuff, right? And, and I said, I mean, how can they run a very stable company and still have so many different groups of people bringing new ideas to life, right? But what they do is they do have this whole idea of trying and scaling and trying and scaling, right? And, and learning quickly from it. Barnes & Nobles, again, I'm not... I, I mean, I, I don't know the company really well to be able to analyze them. I bet they must be trying to do the same thing, but I'm not sure if the leadership and the culture has the same amount of um, what I call forgiveness of, of, of trying different things and not succeeding, right? Um, and then they get criticism and then this whole cycle of negativity creeps in, right? So the people who really want to try different things in that organization or in those organizations, they think, oh my God, if I, you know, look what happened to John, if I do the same thing, it'll happen to me. I would rather stay put in my place and not do anything. And guess what? I mean, if you think about it, even though Barnes Noble may be 10,000 employees, you know, <laughs> still leaders are limited. And if they're all copying and doing the same thing that the other person is doing, next thing you know, they're all doing nothing or not doing anything. And, and that's when they don't innovate. And, and regardless whether it's being pushed from, from the CEO top down, still it needs to be embedded in a culture of trying different things. And I think that is where uh, these good companies who can pivot, who can change, um, um, can figure out a way, way to have... Uh, I was, by the way, I was you know, watching Netflix stocks going tumbling and, and, and doing things. One thing I can tell you, and nobody can predict the future, but I will tell you with 100% certainty Netflix is a company that has this whole idea of trying different things and, and kind of scaling the ones that are working. I can guarantee you that that company will figure out an amazing way to bounce back even stronger than they are today, right? That's the company. Amazon is the company. Tesla is the company. All these companies are all like light years ahead of, of how a company should work in terms of of trying different things and and scaling the ones that are working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you you bring up such a good point. One of the companies that I love to follow is this amateur baseball team closer to you than to me in Georgia called the Savannah Bananas. And this guy <laughs> runs a college summer league team, which the average co I played college baseball, as you know, might draw fifty fans a night. <laughs> and this guy's been packing out like 5,000 people a night into his summer baseball team for wow. years. And he was on ESPN last weekend. And the reason is he does all these stunts. Like he has people batting on stilts and, you know, putting swords and like eating swords while they're pitching. And yeah. like anybody's <laughs> found out, like you have to be different. And I think to your point, 
it feels like there's really two types of companies. There's those that say there's no bad ideas to try. Let the best idea win. Yes. Those good ideas can come from anywhere. We're going to celebrate this movement forward and we're going to build a culture where that thrives. From my understanding, RTS has mastered that at a smaller scale than maybe Amazon, but in a, a little bit more of a niche. Um, and then you have the other side, which is basically this hierarchical, conservative, you know, we've always done it this way. Like, and they might say they're innovating, like 1% of revenue is going to digital or something, but it's not core to what the top people are promoting, right. celebrating, you know, paying for, et cetera. And it's so interesting talking to you because you can see the difference why you want to bet on an Airbnb or Netflix is if tomorrow Airbnb's business model was illegal, we would both you know, be willing to bet our life savings on the fact that they'd come out with something else something cool in two That's years. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And I think that is what we should celebrate. And it's not that, you know, you know, the CEO of Netflix or CEO of, of Amazon is always making all these transformation, uh, transformative ideas. No, it's all coming within the company. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that is the difference between the Barnes and Nobles of the world and, you know, and the blockbusters of the world. Uh, with with the newer company, like like the first thing I did this morning was bought more Netflix uh, stocks because I know they're going to come back even stronger because there's a company where which celebrates hiring the best people, right? You know, creating a very I think they're still in a very flat uh, structure approach, right? And I still think that the entire culture of you know hiring and and, and hiring the best, paying them you know really good money. Um, keeping the talent in, in house um, and and doing all the right things and coming up with these ideas that you know make the next billion dollar bet right and I think those are the things that they are they've they've mastered it right and I think that is what will make them them super unique. And I think yeah, I, you've always been an example I want to follow in our in our smaller business because I. I see it in you. It's it, you've moved on from trying to say that Jot has to have the best ideas and Jot has to understand this to really saying if you can get the right team of people, yeah. they will produce those outcomes. Um, and your case studies on your website, I mean, are, are raving from some pretty influential companies of that difference. And it uh, it's inspiring to me that you could get a team of people who can go into somewhere like a major U.S. bank and actually have them say your culture shined relative to them because they have a lot of money to pay for talent. Like, so it, it's pretty impressive. Well, well, Joe, it's, it's been a privilege to get to interview you. I, I wanted to ask if anyone wants to follow up with you um, on this interview or anything related to RTS, is LinkedIn an okay place or where do you normally field those kind of requests? Man, I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. So I uh, that's where my friends are. It's funny how uh, when I meet new people, um, even though we exchange emails and phone numbers, um, I feel LinkedIn is is still the way to to connect with me and um, you know know about what I believe in, know about what I think about things, um, and also allows me to learn more about the person who's connecting with me. So um, so LinkedIn is fantastic, um, and um, and obviously you know where where everyone go and 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 meet and learn about each other. It's it's a fantastic place and. And another thing that I would like to say is like, you can be a really good contributor on LinkedIn also, where people see what you believe in, what we, you follow. Um, to me, I think maximizing the usage of LinkedIn is also another advice that I give to other 
uh, other of my peers and folks that that I work with. It's like, man, LinkedIn is a good place. It's not only a matchmaking for employers and employees. It's also a lot of things that you can do there um, that builds like deeper relationship with your with your friends, with your you know uh, you know clients and and uh, employees as well. So it's it's a it's a really good place for me to connect. Absolutely. Well, it's been really fun today. I look forward to having you back on the show uh, again soon and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Miles. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you.